morning. So for those who may not know, a couple weeks ago, I had the blessing and opportunity to go on a missions trip in LA. Many of the, the church family here has been very gracious in, in their donations with funds and um, prayers as well. And it's just been greatly appreciated. And so I'd like to take this opportunity to just share a little bit about my week um, so that you guys can have a, a small taste of what I got to, to experience. So in LA, we went to help out with an organization called the Dream Center. Now, the Dream Center is a huge building. It used to be a hospital and was movies were shot by Hollywood in there. Um, and then a guy named Matthew Barnett had bought it for, it was listed at 29 million and the Lord gave it to him for four. So that's pretty crazy. Um, it, it houses upwards of 400 people at the moment, but has a working capacity of 1,000. And so the, they have a large amount of programs. Unfortunately, I have been given a strict time limit by Byron, so this will be brief. I will list just a, a few of the opportunities and serving experiences I got to have. Um, so we went out and did community and family outreach in low-income communities. Uh, we did mobile food deliveries, clothing outreach, disaster relief, um, food bank, uh, grocery support, skid row food support, and cleaning and construction opportunities, which that was fun. Janitorial, it's a blast. Now, if, if you're interested, I encourage you all to go to their website and look more at their programs. They have so, so many and um, can always use more support. So I encourage you to do that. Although, I want to just share one prominent experience that I, that I had there. Now, when you think of LA, a lot of us often think of, oh, sunshine and sandy beaches. Well, that was not the case when we arrived. When we got there, it had been torrentially raining for three to four days, and LA does not experience weather like this. So they, the whole city was flooding, and especially the people living on the streets were facing an extremely difficult time. So the Dream Center stepped up to the plate, and for the first time ever, they, they cleared an entire floor and opened up a shelter for, for homeless people. On our first day, we got into vans and we went downtown specifically looking for the spirit to guide us and to show us people who, who needed relief and, and shelter support. We offered resources such as food, water, toothbrushes, shampoo, things like that. And through communication and relationship building, we were able to offer opportunities for people to come with us back to the Dream Center. Many people accepted, and approximately 100 people received free shelter, hot meals, showers, and clean clothes that week. Now, out of these 100 people, 14 men, one woman, and four families decided to change their lives, leave behind their past, and accept their discipleship program that they offer, which is a one-year, fully clean, right into the, the Word of God, and just full discipleship. And so these 20-ish people have decided to, to change their lives just because of this one opportunity um, that the Dream Center was able to offer. Now the guys who were driving our vans, um, they, they knew exactly where we were going. Jesus was, was driving my van and he kept saying, oh yeah, we have to go over here. And oh man, like we really, we have to go over here. There will be people over here. And I had just think, been thinking, oh wow, like he must have been doing it for a while. He knows his way around. But later, I had learned that the vast majority 
of men who are now workers at the Dream Center, they themselves were on the streets and they themselves went through this discipleship program. So Jesus pointed out to me as, as we were picking up someone and, and bringing them back to the Dream Center with us, he said, no, Reina, I, I used to live right there on this street where we just picked up this man. And it was amazing to see the, these people who are selflessly serving others know the hurt and the pain because they themselves were there. And yet they experienced the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus and accepted the chance to, to turn their life around for the good and then use that opportunity to now go and serve others. And it was just really, really amazing to be a part of. Now, that's, that's all I can share for now. Um, but I would really like to, again, thank everyone for their donations and their prayers. It really, it means a lot. Um, and if you'd like to hear more, please come and talk to me. I have so many stories and, and things that I would love to share with you all. Um, but now I would like to introduce our, our guest speaker today, Isaiah Mast. Isaiah goes to Vanguard with me, and he has graciously accepted the, the opportunity to share the word with us this morning. Okay, is this working good? Hear me? Is, it, is this going to mess with it? No? Cool. Okay, so, share a little bit about myself maybe, so you guys know who I am. Which pocket is this going to go in? So my name is Isaiah, and I go to Vanguard with Reina as a Bible college student, training to be a pastor, which is amazing and fun. And this is tangling me up. Maybe go like this. Is that better or not? Anyways, so I'm also from a small town from Barhead, if anybody knows where that is. So that's fun. It's kind of similar to Wainwright because it's, it's small. And uh, I love a small town. Um, I have a friend, a roommate actually. And let's give him, let's give him maybe a random name. Completely made up. This isn't his real name. His name is Zach, and so he's my roommate, and he told me a story about when he was first at Vanguard, and uh, he's sitting in class, and he's, he's eagerly learning as he does, and then there comes a point as, he, as he's sitting there where the, the liquid inside of his body says, let me out. So he has to go to the bathroom, and so like a good boy, he raises his hand, and he waits for the teacher to call on him, and he says... Uh, professor, can I go to the washroom? And, and the professor replies awkwardly, um, yeah, of course, go ahead, Zach. Go to the washroom and don't ever ask me to go to the washroom again, please. That's weird. You don't have to do that here. And so, so Zach, did I mention that Zach is a ginger? So there is no possible way for him to hide his embarrassment. Um, his face turned red like a tomato. And uh, yeah, a lot of pain, a lot of embarrassment because he was still functioning according to the, the code and expectations of his high school in Ontario. And he wasn't uh, following the, the code and expectations of a college. And if only somebody would have told him what was the expectations, he would have saved himself a lot of embarrassment and a lot of pain. If only someone would have told him before. So the church in Ephesus, because we're, we're reading through Ephesians, the church in Ephesus was actually under pretty similar conditions as that. 
So the church in Ephesus is mostly comprised of Gentiles, so people that are not familiar with faith in God, in one God who loves them and who has instructions for them. And the church and, and the town of Ephesus, to give you context of what it's like there, the city was home to one of the greatest tourist attractions and actually one of the wonders of the ancient world, and it was the Temple of Artemis, which is the goddess, she was the goddess of fertility and childbirth. So this church is, is fully ingrained in a culture that is obsessed with Greek myth mythology, specifically focusing on exploring sexuality. So there's a clash of two worlds happening here, the world and the town with its expectation and code, and then God's kingdom and his expectation and code. And so for the Greek Ephesians living there, who were once part of their town's expectations and code, are now, now belong to God. And they wonder then, they say maybe, I know what this town wants from me, I know what it has always wanted from me, but now I don't belong to that anymore, I belong to God's community. So what does God want from his community? How does that play out? So along comes Paul, the apostle, the guy who, who started this church, and he explains to them just that, the expectations of God's community. And he goes about it in this way, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, as dearly loved children. That's how he starts. Because that's how actually God starts all his conversations with us. He appeals to us out of love, like a father does to a child. He instructs us out of his love for us. He doesn't say, therefore, since I am God and all-powerful and you're my itsy-bitsy creation, you must obey me because I like to control you. That's not how he approaches it. Love is God's driving factor in all he does. It's not power. God already has all the power. He doesn't need that. It's not for his own gain. God has everything. He doesn't need anything. He's not motivated by selfish ambition. He doesn't present a list of do's and don'ts so he can be a party pooper or so he can just snuff out all our fun. He's not a tyrannical control freak. There's a reason for his intervention and his instruction and it's always has been and always will be out of his love for us. The love like a father to a child. So that's the way I want us to think about it. If you can think about maybe you're a father or a mother or we've all been part of a situation like that, I'm sure. Um, how does a father and mom approach a child who they care about and they love? How do they give instruction? It's a lot different of approach to somebody who does not have that love for the child. So I want us to think of it as an adoption for us right now in this conversation. Think of it as an adoption in which you were adopted from a hopeless situation and you've been brought into a family that is full of life. And in this adoption, just like a good father, there comes a point where the father comes close to us and he sits down with us by our side and he gently instructs us and he tells us what the expectations are 
for us being his child. So in the same way a father and mother sits down with a child to lovingly instruct and teach, that's actually how I want us to view the rest of this conversation. You guys with me? Cool. Combining, oh, I have three here. Are you combining what I'm swathing? <laughs> Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I can't think of any more, but you know what I'm saying. So here we go, okay? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, therefore as dearly loved children, you must be imitators of your father God's likeness. In his characteristics and conduct, you must resemble the same love that Jesus showed us. So what does it mean to be an imitator? Another translation, that's what it says. Therefore, imitate your father in heaven. So your father has sat you down, okay? And out of love, he has said, the expectations for the operation of this family is that we do everything out of love and nothing out of selfish ambition. Love is the core marker of this family. Jesus says in John 13, 35, they will know you are my disciples by your love. So love is the marker. That's what marks us. Love is the defining characteristic of God's family. So if you were to look at your own family, there may be a defining characteristic that you guys have. Maybe it's uh, your family is known by the shape of their nose. Or maybe it's the color of your eyes or your height. Or maybe your family is known by having a hard work ethic. Like, oh, I know you belong to that family because you have that. So if you can think, think about it in your family. What, what defines your family? What is the defining characteristic? So in my family, apparently, I don't know if this is true or not. Somebody once told me, oh, my, my last name is Mast. So somebody said, oh, you have the Mast eyes. You've got squinty eyes. I'm like, whatever, okay. <laughs> but I didn't know that. But apparently they're like, oh, I know you, you're, you're a son of duke because your eyes are squinty like a mast like okay that's cool whatever um anyways so that's what that's what i'm saying a defining characteristic others know that i am my father's son when they see the resemblance of a defining characteristic so within god's family the defining characteristic is love so much so that everyone that encounters us should be able to recognize our father who our father is because of it but does, does that happen? I know it's hard. Does that happen? So it's actually as black and white as that. And I have another little analogy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. Okay, so <sighs> just imagine with me, okay? Imagine a white Caucasian man marries a white Caucasian lady, and they have a child. And that child does not come out white. You know that that child does not belong to that father because he does not carry that defining characteristic. And if somebody were to try to explain to you, no, 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 trust me, no, that, that son or that, that child, it, it is mine, they'd be like, no, 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 like, it's pretty obvious he doesn't belong to you. It's pretty obvious. You'd say that person is a liar. 
So the same is like a Christian who claims to be of God, but does not go about his life in love like his father. Then that person is a liar because it is a logical impossibility for one to claim to be a child of God and not carry the defining characteristic of love everywhere that they go. So why must we imitate and resemble? Because how else will the world know that we are his? What else will set us apart if not the image we are and the tracks we leave behind? A similar situation happened when Moses, when God was using Moses to bring the Israelites out of slavery. Moses is, is talking with God and he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How else, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And it's the presence of God. The presence of God marks God's people. But we are actually in a better position than the Israelites were back then. Because, because of Jesus, we carry the literal presence of God in each and every one of us. Because God says in Joel, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. And now the time has come and we're living in that time because in Acts it says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's the significance of this? Why am I making a connection between love and the presence of God? Well, because since Jesus defines that love is the most significant defining characteristic of the presence of God, then that means that those who carry the Spirit of God, which is us, are given the ability to display the love of God to others. And it's not somehow worked out of our own storage of love, but of our own abundance, but it's actually from which God has placed in us and it's through His abundance and through His storage of love. So then Paul says, walk in the way of love. And in another verse it says, walk in step with the Spirit. And furthermore, Paul explains clearly that walking in the way of love and walking in the way of the Spirit will and should result in a love that imitates or resembles our Father. So you want to know how this family functions and how the world is to know that you are God's? He says, first off, my dearly loved child, is that love is to be evident. And maybe we will respond and say, what about this love, dad? How can I do this? What does this love actually look like? And he would reply, well, dearly loved child, this love is like the love that I showed you through my son, Jesus. And what is Jesus' love? We know what it is. It's a love that gave up his life. It's self-sacrificial. It's unselfish. It's one that puts the needs of others before your own. It's one that serves, not demands to be served. It's one that gives and not takes. And now, picture with me, you're in this conversation. And now there's a shift in this conversation that God is having with us. And he sits us down and he explains to his children what we must 
not do. As dearly loved children, listen to my instructions for your own good and for mine. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So, if love is not for our own gain, and it's unselfish, it's not something that is taking, then what's the opposite of that? The opposite of love is a thing in which we do that causes us to continually take. Dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. You want to know how not to walk in the way of love? You want to know how to walk in the way of hate? Not in the way of God, but in the way of the devil? Then you are to do, then do the things that Paul is saying not to do. It's to do the things that Paul outlines right here. And the first thing that he addresses to the Ephesians is actually the exact thing that their specific town is saying they should be obsessed with. That is to be exploring every sexual idea and thought. So the opposite way of love is lust. It's greed. It's when we indulge ourselves into our every sinful desire. And so what, what is lust then? Lust is the thought process and the actions that always take from others. But love? Love is one that gives. It's one that lays down its life. And what's greed then? Greed is a thought process and actions that continually take from others and our environment, not give. And then he talks about coarse joking and foolish talk and obscenity. How does that fit in? Well, most of the time when we're making such jokes and having such language come out of our mouth, it's usually at the expense of somebody else. Or it's at the expense of something God has said is sacred or holy something that should not be talked about in such a manner. But instead he says thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving is a thought process and an action of giving to God and blessing God and blessing others, not taking. You see what Paul is saying here is sin runs against the very grain of God's character. Because it, sin runs in the opposite direction of love. If you want to be a person who is loving and known by your love, like God wants us, just know that sin runs in opposite direction of that. But there's something else. Not only do these things not benefit others or display the love that God wants his children to have, but they actually harm us in the process. And they actually disqualify us from all of the good things God has in store for us. And how do we know this? Because Paul says in verse 5, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. 
And every time I hear that, I know it sounds harsh. It's like, whoa, chill, chill, chill. <laughs> okay, yeah. And maybe we wonder, is God punishing unjustly? Why would a God of love punish his children for being imperfect, right? Is God punishing unjustly? And, and we may think that's what's happening, but it's actually not. So in there, in, the, in that verse, there's a specific word and it's called an inheritance. So what is an inheritance? Well, if, if you think about it in, in human terms, let's say, let's say my dad died. Now, if I'm written in his will, then when he dies, out of the abundance that he has, I will receive. So then you compare that to, to God. Out of his abundance, we get to receive. And the, and the abundance and what he has is much more than anything an earthly father could give. Right? And I'm not just talking about material wealth. It's not what I'm saying. Now, if I'm a disobedient child, back, back to earthly father, if I'm a disobedient child and I go against everything that my father stands for, and I go against everything that, that he has taught me and wants me to represent and be about, do you think he's going to be wanting to keep me in his will and to receive the abundance of what he has? It, it's, it's not likely. There's, there's many examples of, of people who are not in the will because they go against everything that that family stands for. But, but here's the thing. God is not an earthly father. And this is just incredible because that's how much he loves us. He does not say, you are disowned. He doesn't say, you, are, you will forever be unable to inherit what I have for you. He doesn't say, you are disowned. But he actually says, because, because it is impossible for God to be unfaithful, what actually happens is that we disown God. God doesn't ever disown us, but we disown him. And we say, I don't want what you have for me. Instead of aligning ourselves under God and say, I, I want you to be my father and so I want to receive the inheritance you have for me, we instead, sometimes we, we chase after things like greed and, and lust and any sinful thing and we say, and instead we say, I want you, I want what you have. I want you to be my father. I want to receive your inheritance. And as a loving father, God warns us and he says, if you want to align yourself under something else and receive what that has for you, you will get that. I don't want you there though. I wanted to give you out of the abundance of good things that I have. But just know that when you chase after those things and you make them idols in your life, you, are, you will inherit what they can give you and that's destruction. There's nothing good there for you, he says. No good thing. So we remove ourselves from saying, God, you are my father, and I want what you can give me. So Paul is reminding the Ephesians that when this town and this culture says, follow these ways and these practices, just know, just know that there is nothing there for you. There's nothing good for you to receive in those ways. At most, at most, it's temporary pleasure or temporary wealth. At the very most. And that's nothing compared to what God can give. But following God's way, 
the way of love, that's where good things are found in this life now and in our final inheritance in heaven. I don't want you to hear what I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this Christian life means we won't deal with hardships and it's just going to be a cakewalk. But I'm saying that we will not be reaping an inheritance of destruction. Because by following the ways of sin, you will not only receive an inheritance of destruction now, but you will also receive judgment from a holy and just God in the next life as well. There was something, I forget where it was or when it was, may have been a teacher of mine, and I remember him saying something that was so, so profound, I thought anyways, and he said, even, even if heaven was not a thing, even if God didn't promise heaven and eternity with him, The Christian life and following God's way is still the best possible way for any human to live, even without heaven. Following God's way is still the best way and the most blessed way to live a human life. But we even have much more than that because God does promise heaven. Dearly loved children will receive an inheritance from their father God but those who follow their sinful passions will, will not receive God's good inheritance because they exchange their father God for an idol, for a lie, which can give nothing but destruction in the end. So here we are in our little journey, a little conversation, okay? Learning the expectations of what it means to be a child of God. He came and he appeals to us out of his love for us. And he says, I want to tell you because I love you how this family operates. And he says, first, first you must know that our defining characteristic of this family, it's our love for one another. We always put others first and we always forgive. That is how the world is to know you are mine. You do this by being like me. And two, you must know that because we are known by my love, in my presence, you must run in the opposite direction of the things that are not love. You must flee and resist all sin, not tolerating it, not allowing just a little bit into your life, because even a small portion will try and take over everything that you are. And he says, I know, I know other people in this town will claim that there are good things for you to follow those things to follow those desires. But he says, please listen. Listen to me. There's nothing there for you. Only destruction. That's the only thing it will give you. So please, he says, follow my way where there's a glorious inheritance for you in the end. And I will even, I will even bless you now as you walk in it. As you walk in my will, I will bless you in things that will last. Not just materials and temporary pleasures. But it's not the end of the conversation yet. I know I'm talking a while. But there's something else that God wants us to know about what it means to be his child. Because this was all for a reason and a purpose. Not just so we can be blessed and receive a good inheritance. Not just so he can say he's pleased with us. But he says, because you are my child and I love you, I actually want you to join me in the family business. 
I want, us to join, I want you to be part of what I'm doing. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry. This is not a business that you will hate. This is not something that will wear you down to the bone. For my business is one that is full of hope and restoration, full of joy. My business will contain heartbreak, yes, but it's one that brings freedom. What is this business? The biz his business is to save the lost and to bring them into the family that we are part of. And he says that he himself will help us in this process. So we pick up in the verses what Paul is saying. For he says, for once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. There's nothing there. But rather, exp but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see, it all comes to a head here. It all comes to a point of purpose and of mission for us. The reason we are part of this family is so that we can bring others into it. That's the business. As dearly loved children... Dearly loved children know their father's business and go about their father's business. But how? By exposing the darkness for what it really is. By showing others what the light really is. Letting our light shine. We hear that all the time. What does it mean? It means by the way that we do life at every single moment to live as true children of God as we really are. For once we were darkness, but now we are something else. We are light. So we live as children of the light. You, know, you want to know what the greatest, one of the most cool parts about being once part of the darkness, but now light? It's the fact that we know the difference between the two. Not everybody does. It's that we know what the darkness is and we know what the light is. And now we witness and we testify to the world who the light is and what the light is. And we come alongside our friends and our family and by our actions, by our words, and with intentionality and with courage, we appeal to them out of the same love that God has appealed to us in. And we show them what the darkness is that it is completely and utterly fruitless. There's nothing there. And we point them to where the light is, where God is, where he is the father who out of his abundance has a good inheritance for them, an inheritance of forgiveness and of love, an inheritance of life and life abundant. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. 
and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I love that line so much. Everything exposed by light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What does it mean to be illuminated? What, what is he talking about? What is that? I think he's saying, that is your testimony. That is your story. How you were once darkness, but now you were light. How you were once lost and abandoned, but now you were adopted into a family and called a loved child of God. And I want to be very clear because this, this has been really heavy on my heart to tell you guys. This part right here. Is that we need to know that every one of us, every one of us, Christ has shined on us so that we may be illuminated. Like a glow stick. A forever running glow stick. We need to tell our story. Our personal story. That was the purpose for which we are here. That was the purpose for the suffering that maybe you've endured. That was the purpose and the reason for the darkness that you were once in. Because God entered the scene of your life. He busted down and through the doors of your life and he has transformed your darkness into a testimony of light. So in the words of Paul, he says, wake up sleeper and see that you have been illuminated. So then, be very careful how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every single opportunity that you have because the days are evil and they're limited. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? The Lord's will is that you make the most of every opportunity to share your story, to show others that your life has become a message of hope, that your life has become a never-ending glow stick in a dark room. So God concludes and he summarizes his conversation with his kids. Therefore, dearly loved child, dearly loved son, and dearly loved daughters, this is what it means to be my child. This is how this family functions. Walk in the way of love. Imitate my most defining characteristic, which is love. So please, walk away from those things that are not love. Flee from those sinful things, have nothing to do with them. I desire to bless you and to see you prosper. I have an abundance of inheritance for you and I long to give it to you. So do not align yourself with other passions and make them your father. They cannot offer you what I have. They do not have a good inheritance, only destruction. And my child, I've called you mine for a purpose and a plan. I've adopted you out of darkness and into this family of light. 
and I have illuminated you with a story to share with everyone you meet. So keep shining, keep sharing, and keep imitating me, my dearly loved child. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you that the first thing you want us to know is that you are our Father and that we are your child. And thank you that your, your most defining characteristic is love. It wouldn't make sense any other way. So I pray that you give us the strength and courage to walk in the way of love in everything that we do. I pray that we run from those things that, that will not give us what you want for us. Thank you that you have, out of your love, you have told us what leads to destruction. You say, please don't go there. Give us the self-control in those areas. And God, I pray that you fill us with courage and power to go out boldly and tell the world what the darkness is and tell them what the world is. Tell them what the light is, to share our own story, to know that you have done a great thing in our lives, and the purpose was to share it. We've been illuminated. So I thank you for this time, and I pray that we go out changed. In Jesus' name, amen.